Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And welcome to the Sherlock Book Club podcast with me, Heather Steele, and Georgina Vasky. Today, we're joined by a very special guest, B. Carvalho, who's Waterstones Head of Books. Welcome, B. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Uh, so, towards the end of the podcast, we're going to be chatting to B about her life, her job, the books you've been loving recently, plus, excitingly, the books for 2024 that you're really excited about. So, lots to look forward to there. But first of all, we're going to be obviously talking about All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doer. So, Georgina, when we were picking our books for this year, this was sort of quite high up on our list from the beginning because you read it years ago. And I remember being on a podcast with you and you were raving about it. And I hadn't quite got around to reading it myself. So I was like, yeah. now is our chance. Yeah, I think I read it back in 2019. It was originally published in 2016, I think. 14. 14, yeah. 2014. Mm. So even I was a bit late to it. Um, and um, it was one of those books that just stayed with me. Yeah. Because as we'll get on to, it's, it's just so vivid how it's written. And I think it really, um, it really touches you. And then it kind of came back into our, yeah. to our, our minds was the Netflix um, series coming out and suddenly we were seeing it everywhere again. Yeah. So yeah, that was the kind Why of- Why not now? Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, as with all the Shiller's Book Club podcasts, we're using comments that you've all kindly left on our community to sort of use as talking points. So yeah, we'll get straight into it. And obviously, as usual, spoilers alert, we're going to be talking about everything, the ending. So yeah, if you haven't read it yet, then come back once you have. Let's dive in. In general, uh, what did you think of the book, B? Oh, well, it's just a fantastic book, isn't it? I mean, I think at its heart, it's quite traditional. It's quite traditional historical storytelling, mm-hmm. but it's done in a really contemporary, clever way. Um, so I think there's just so much for so many different kinds of readers to latch onto, and it's really become kind of one of those benchmark books for historical fiction, um, which just you know, has really set the standard for the last few years. I think, obviously, it won the Pulitzer Prize when it came out. And I think sometimes people might think that some of the books that win, like the Booker or the Pulitzer, might be a bit weighty and inaccessible. And I feel like this, even though you might look at the length of it, not knowing about it and be like, wow, that's quite a doorstopper. There's so much, for, like you say, for people to take away from. And it's, it's like written incredibly, but it's still like really accessible and yeah, a good, easy read. So I feel like that's played into why so many people love it as well. Yeah, I think it's really interesting what you said about books being prize winners, mm. because I find that that often fills me with a, a sort of, not quite a sense of dread, but a real fear that it's going to be heavy going or or just very deep or yeah you know just something to kind of really wade through and rewarding Mm -hmm. obviously but also maybe um kind of a little bit more intellectual than Mm -hmm. perhaps I always feel like reading and I think what I loved about this book was it was just so instantly grabbing you and pulling you in um to their lives all the different characters it's so rich I'm also not one who 
gravitates towards historical fiction normally. Um, but again, it's just done. It, the stories are told in such a character-centered way yeah. that mm -hmm. it's actually about people yeah. in a certain situation rather than history. Yes. Although it obviously is about history, but it's, to me, it's about the people more than anything. Mm. I was gripped. I, I started reading it the weekend. Spoiler alert. I left it quite last minute. Um, <laughs> from the off, mm. it was like chapter, 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 different perspectives. And I was, yeah, very, very quickly absorbed in it and yet yeah, managed to race through it. So. Well, and so did one of our um, <laughs> readers on the community. So Vanessa said, I finished this book in three days. Bill, are you? Yeah, Bill, like It me. was so engrossing. <laughs> when I was reading it, I felt I was in the book. Sometimes, especially at the beginning, it was a bit slow, but then what a whirlwind of emotions. I think it's really interesting at this point to talk about maybe the pace and the chronology mm. of the book um, and the kind of the reveals along mm. the way. Um, I think if we start with the pace, to me, it feels like you've got these very short chapters, mm. which definitely appeal to me. It feels quite filming, quite yeah. scenic. Mm. Um, you're constantly flipping around. So you really have to concentrate hard. Um, what did you think of? of that technique i think having it kind of told through those episodes really helps with the momentum um there's just a really really kind of zippy pace to it um which means that it's never dry in the way that those quite traditional histories can be um which really helps and actually the skipping around in the narrative um kind of really keeps building that tension along the way and the sense that actually some of those reveals come quite suddenly and shockingly yeah. is quite it's like real life um and i think that again really helps with the connectivity to the plot yeah yeah what did you think heather i i yeah like i say found it very easy to read like some of the chapters were a page long yeah. if that weren't they but no for me it worked really well i liked it it's sort of the two it was Werner and Mary Law to begin with, wasn't it? And then suddenly Von Rumpel's a yeah. voice that he wasn't dropped in immediately, but I like that he just suddenly appeared and it's like, who's this guy? What's he adding to the story? And I, yeah, thought it worked really well. Yeah, and that becomes, I think, particularly powerful at the end where you start obviously getting Yutta in the yeah. 70s. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then obviously right at the end, it's 2014 and, and Mary Law and her grandson. And yeah. I feel like... Well, we'll talk about the ending yeah. later, but you know, I really liked here give it that opportunity for yeah. other characters to come in. Yes, I think what I loved most about the chronology was, as a reader, well, when I'm reading, I feel I have attachments mm. to certain characters and then judgments on other characters, probably the ones I like less. Mm. And as the book revealed more and more, and you started maybe hearing a bit more of a backstory mm. about one character, somehow that made it. Um, I, I sort of was starting to empathise with characters that previously I had not. For example, with Von Rumpel, where he talks about how much his daughters would have loved the model. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, clearly he's a, a horrible man in a terrible situation under enormous pressure. But you, you're written to not like him. Of course, yeah. And yet you still, he still allows you glimpses into his humanity. Yeah. Um, so it, it's like shifting goalposts for me yeah on characters which i i liked yeah yeah i think he's really good on like moral ambiguity and keeping everyone just human 100%. and um actually even the characters who you do judge or you do hate there's still that human element which i think um some authors kind of struggle to achieve in a in a as effective a way 
Yeah, that's so true. I mean, there are anti-heroes, aren't there? And I don't know if there are necessarily any of those in this book, but we'll get to Verna later, I'm sure. But I mean, yeah, it's that moral ambiguity that you want to root for him because you were sort of introduced to him as a young boy or, or well, mm. he's 17, really, isn't he? And then younger uh, in other parts of the book. But yeah, he's had a rough childhood and has, you know, didn't want to join the Hitler Youth. But you do still root for him throughout the whole book or I certainly did even though you learn about the things he's had to do as part of his job so yeah I think that's a good point um so when we were discussing the book early on between us we were both really struck by how well written the novel was and we were speaking about this earlier Mm. before the podcast started it was it just I think it's just beautiful and actually I find it really interesting Jordina because when we were speaking um the other day because you'd read it before you then started listening to it on audio book mm. and I remember you saying like it hadn't quite had the same impact maybe because it was so beautifully written sort of seeing it written down almost sort of yeah made it more visual and impactful perhaps yeah and it's it's strange I do I would say I do 80% of my reading as reading yeah and 20% is the occasional audio book yeah and um yeah, I just felt like, for me, the the, the sort of rich language, the descriptions mm. and how you can really linger over certain sentences and words, which he really invites yeah. you to do mm. in this book. Um, it just didn't kind of land in the same way yeah. on the audio. And reading it a second time, I just, I think the first time I was so busy trying to work out the plot and the yeah. characters and what was happening and, and the, oh, we're here, now we're here and mm. just kind of keeping alert to that, um, that maybe sometimes I didn't, I mean, it still impacted me, the language, but somehow this time I felt even more yeah. appreciative of mm-hmm. the way he writes. Um, so, yeah. yeah, B, how about what, what are your thoughts on he's one his of those writing style? Writers, he just feels like you're in such safe hands, like he's yeah. in total command of every sentence. And there's something so sensory about his writing. There's like the salt spray you can feel yes. and you can like the sizzle of the like omelette that's cooking. And it just feels like there's, there's all of the senses and he achieves that really well without having at all a kind of flowery or overly descriptive style. Yeah, 100%. Um, which again, I think is really rare. Yeah, there's a quote actually that I had noted down, which um, I think kind of demonstrates your point really well. Um, it's quite near the beginning when war's breaking out and it says, new rumours arrive. They rustle along the paths of Jardin de Plante and wind down the museum galleries. They echo in high dusty debouts where shriveled old botanists study exotic masses. The Germans are coming. This idea of the mm. rumours being personified and made like yeah. echoes, saying to you like, like kind of wisps traveling yeah. through mm. and just a really short sentence, but Frau Elena paces the parlor, her slippers whispering left, whispering right. Yeah, I love that. Mm. It's just, it's great. Yeah. Brilliant. It's good. Actually, um, V, when you were saying about the omelette, I mean, I love food, but <laughs> I did think the book, especially, I guess, made even more stark because there isn't much food mm. to go around for a lot of the novel. I thought all those descriptions were amazing. The one yeah. that really sticks with me is when Werner and Mary Law finally open that tin of peaches and she realises it's peaches, it's not gone off beans, it's yeah. not, you know, various other things. And she said probably about 400 pages earlier, like she didn't dare dream it was going to be one of Madame's last tins of peaches. But the way they both describe eating those peaches, and I th- can't remember exactly how it was, but 
it sounded like they were just sort of slipping all the way down without chewing and it yeah. was just so sweet and sticky and the way they were sort of both delving their hands in to get the very last of it. Written, I guess, from her perspective with the blindness, like the mm. sensory element of it and then him sort of saying, you know, he hasn't eaten for a very, very, very long time. Yeah, I think all of that really played in really well. It's such a beautiful moment that, yeah, I was worried about them cutting their hands on the tin. Yeah, yeah, just yeah I know. Yeah. But, um, and the, I think the first time he talks about food, it's um, he's talking about in the children's home, um, them making cakes out of mustard powder and yes. water. Yeah. And I just think about that all the time because yeah. how gross. But then the contrast of that mm. to the meal that she receives when she first um, kind of arrives at her great uncle's yeah. and... It's all just very richly evoked and well done. And the cake that Werner gets when he, uh, early on, when he fixes the radio for that sort of Nazi commander, when he thinks mm. he's in so much trouble, and then he's sort of brought into this amazing house, and he talks about the wife's legs a lot, doesn't he? Because he's just never seen legs like it <laughs> before. But then he's rewarded with those four slices of cake, and even the way that's described with the icing sugar and everything, I can still visualise it all right now. So he yeah. did a very good job of keeping that alive. Uh, somebody else on the community Gabby said I love the main characters as they're quite quote unquote unusual a blind girl and an orphan boy the story's captivating and the ending is bittersweet so yeah we have a little bit already but let's mm -hmm. discuss the two main characters so yeah first up what did you think of Mary Law as a character um, I think she's really strong as a character I think um, her the way that we kind of are guided through the primary locations through her experience of them as a young blind girl who is so reliant on everyone around her. Um, I think comes back to his sensory descriptions, the way that he manages to create such a strong sense of place, you know, through, through her when actually mm. we're not, we're kind of feeling the streets and smelling them and, you know, rather than seeing them, but he still manages to conjure them so well. And I think the way that when we first meet her, she is so, powerless it's and dependent i mean at its heart i think the book is about ordinary people in extraordinary times mm. and just being kind of propelled along having to go with the flow and hope for the best that you're kind of going to be found on the right side of history and her blindness is kind of an extension of that and she goes from this helpless young girl who is completely reliant on the adults in her life to actually somebody with real agency and who's able to kind of found, find this kind of power in herself um, to kind of protest and to affect change. Um, and I think that's just really beautifully done. Yeah, I've never read a book where I have felt so alert to all the other senses. Mm. Um, we've got another quote that we liked, which was, um, Mary Law looks up from her book and believes she can smell gasoline under the wind as if a great river of machinery is slowly is streaming slowly irrevocably towards her. It's amazing how that kind of sense of danger mm. she could pick up on through so many other ways yeah. than the traditional ways. And um, and I just felt like it, that sort of seemed to impact and touch everyone she came into contact with as well. 100%. I talking about her blindness mm. I again I agree with how her hand was guided through the description mm. you could really get a sense for things but another thing that really struck me it was in the last chapter I think where she is obviously back in Paris and she's in her late 90s I think isn't she by then 
and she's saying how she can tell what the time of day is by where the flower is, the way the flower's mm. facing in the sunlight on you know, yeah. that given day. And I was like, oh yeah. You know, just those little things you just learn as you go along, but also yeah. how, how what a lovely picture to have in your head of her sort of telling the time that way. I thought oh, that was gorgeous. so clever. Yeah, and actually it's quite interesting because it makes you think that maybe um, it's really, uh, there's kind of a common narrative around mm. the idea that if you're blind, you've had something taken away from yeah. you. But actually he is writing it as if actually, yeah. yes, she doesn't have that sense, but she is she is richer in all her yeah. other senses more than any of us with our full senses. Yeah. Oh, she's kind of beyond. Yeah, well, um, I think at one stage, doesn't she say that she can hear like a reed rustling two miles away? I think when she's in San Marlo and it's like, wow. It yeah. Gets... There's another bit as well where she's describing the colours of her dreams. Yes. And it's all really vivid and bright mm. and, you know, it's something I'd never really considered before for the kind of the mind's eye, how it how it sees or how it, you know translate with without that actual sight that's so true actually because there's another bit where she says like if you close your eyes like we can you can still sort of see hints mm. of color and shadows and she was like that doesn't happen mm. for me and actually yeah i learned a lot through that or mm. it's something i hadn't necessarily considered and the dream thing kind of came into that as well yeah so to vanna uh when Werner's about to leave to join the hitler youth his sister yutta is is horrified and says is it right to do something only because everyone else is doing it? And that, I think, is when we feel that doubt slip into Werner's mind. Mm. Um, we see him in countless terrible situations as time goes on and as he's developing as a young man. And it really is a very young man. I think he's recruited when he's about 14. He's 14, yes. Yeah. fighting by the time he's 16 or 17. I think it's interesting to think about how, um, how Yitta um, impacts... Uh, how Werner thinks about what's going to come and what lies ahead. She seems to have a huge amount of um, critical thinking mm -hmm. um, and a strong moral code for how young she is. Yeah. Uh, and obviously she doesn't know what lies ahead. So I just wondered how he, what we think about how he behaves in the book and how that changes over time. Yeah, she's kind of the moral voice of the novel, isn't she? We spoke about moral ambiguity and how actually in a way he's not trying to kind of tell us what to think about any of the characters. They're all just going along the paths that they feel they have to. And so we judge them for that. And actually, although we do sympathize with him and with his journey, because we've seen him since he was an adorable small child asking lots of questions and, um, and you know, figuring out his radios and everything, you still can kind of look at him objectively from the future and, and think, well, you're, please don't do, they are doing the wrong mm. thing. Um, but at the same time, in a way, she's the only voice which is which is maybe just from, from him, from the author, and actually being kind of properly critical. Um, I think the moment at which he stops just going with the flow and accepting kind of what his country needs of him, um, that's probably his sister's influence and that kind of voice ringing out through the years. Um, she obviously still means a huge amount to him even when she's been that distance and their relationship is drawn so beautifully yeah. at the beginning so you kind of miss that i think as they become separated yeah like, definitely i say found with the two of them you learned a lot through the censorship especially mm. about her because you were obviously able to read these letters but a lot of what she's saying is all completely sort of mm. blocked out so again she's still 
resisting from afar and trying to kind of talk to him about mm. what he might be doing. But I think it's hard, isn't it? Because it's all against his will, isn't it? The only reason he wants to do this in the first place is because he doesn't want to go down the mines. He doesn't want to die like his father did. And I suppose at a young age when there was all this propaganda around, this seemed a much better option than going down the mines and yeah, doing he, that. He thought he was going to end up in a kind of technical college in Berlin. Yeah, That's exactly. What he thought exactly. It was going to lead to. But in terms of Werner, yeah, it's interesting, like his relationship with Volkheimer as well, because he's sort of presented as a the giant, you know, this big imposing character who all the boys at the school fear. Mm. But actually their relationship's really nice, I think, but the two of them. And although Volkheimer obviously, I think he says at one stage, he's killed at least a hundred men, you know, who mm. were just, as it turns out, just sort of very malnourished people in mm. tiny huts, just working with dodgy equipment, trying to survive themselves. So he does a lot of dreadful things, but it's written in quite a sympathetic way. I don't think you're ever sort of mm. leaning towards hating him or Werner and the things they do. I don't know. Yeah, well, I don't think he is ever trying to excuse them. And I think that's, I think it could get quite uncomfortable if he was trying to just be like, actually, everyone's just yeah. ultimately fine. They're just victims of their yeah. history. He's, you know, showing all the kind of the complex sides mm -hmm. and showing the bad as well as the sympathetic sides is is the strength of that yeah. that characterization i think that comes across really well actually with the description of some of the commanders in the school mm. so mm. um you've got some who seem quite reasonable and yeah. seem to, especially at the beginning mm. but as more and more of them are getting pulled into the war yeah. and then you've got these um injured soldiers coming back yes to run the school there's definitely things the war was taking a mm. turn mm -hmm. for the worst if you were german and the school seems to mirror that. Yes. There's a quote here that says, um, Werner is succeeding. He is being loyal. He is being what everybody agrees is good. And yet every time he wakes and buttons his tunic, he feels he is betraying something. Mm. And I think clearly mm. that that something is is the voice in his head from Jutta. Yeah. Should we talk about Frederick a bit? I found, yeah, like I say, that was obviously put in there deliberately. But yeah, I think that, for me, I did just find that whole storyline awful. A, because there was like all the rules and the games at the school mm -hmm. with like being picked the weakest and then the sort of chasing sort of pack mentality that the boys were having to kind of mm -hmm. whip up because of the situation they were in and how they were being trained. But then when I think of Frederick, I also think about that prisoner and the water bucket as yeah. well and that whole situation doesn't Werner say to Volkheimer like why did we why did we leave him there when he was dead we should have given him some dignity I suppose and then Volkheimer asks like why though yeah. and that's sort of brought back in again at the end of the book do you think that's probably like the first example in the book of a real life sort of atrocity sort of being shown in full like it's not even being hinted at it's like right there for the reader to see what what they were having to do to people. Yeah, I guess that up until then, or more broadly, you know, it was it's all a bit more abstract, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Or a bit more on a, on a kind of grand scale. But then when you see that played out, you know, between individuals and between young people, mm. um, it's a lot more stark. I think that's quite clever, actually, having the kind of the grand political goings on, but yeah. also actually how it's impacting dynamics between 
ostensibly ordinary young people and, and what's that that's doing to each other yeah because that's I think why I was bringing him up because we talk about Jutta because I feel I see Frederick as another sort of moral comfort because he's mm. the only boy who doesn't throw the freezing water over mm. the man and mm. keeps refusing knowing full well that it's going to land him in trouble mm. and he did it anyway and Werner is very much like I he didn't want to do it either but did yeah and that makes you wonder how many of the other boys didn't want to do it no but did yeah Mm. and um as frederick says your problem about is you believe you still have um you still believe you own your life Mm. and frederick is willing to own his life no matter what yeah Mm. and i feel like that exercise that they have to do Mm. is a real example of um how they were being trained to be so inhumane Mm. to be killing machines because they were trying to strip away any kind of um, emotion, empathy, yeah. anything from these young boys. So yeah. by the time they were in that situation, they could only behave in one way. Yeah. And then there's that terrible incident where they end up in Vienna yeah. shooting the, the mother and the daughter by mistake. Yeah. And I felt like that was kind of inevitable. Yeah. Are there other characters you'd like to have learned more about that you were kind of curious, left wanting more from? I really liked Uncle Etienne. Oh, I did. And yeah, I'd yeah. like to... I mean, I think there's such a backstory there, obviously, and you get snippets of it, but... Um, but, yeah, I thought he was remarkable. He's clearly such a, an intelligent, sort of sensitive mm. intellectual, isn't he? Like, with his library of amazing books. Yeah. And obviously we know what happened in World War One mm. and why he became like he did. But, yeah, I feel like there's a, an interesting story mm. there, for sure. I'd have loved to learn more about Madame. Yes. Yes. Uh, She feels like she had an awesome, not an awesome life, but an awe-inspiring, sort of incredible life before even joining the resistance. Like, she was an amazing character. But you just saw enough of her Mm. to, like, learn about her, be interested by her, and get a real sense of her and her strength and how she can rally all the sort of older women of the uh, town to kind of do things they never would have thought they would have been, you know, able to do. Mm. Um, But definitely left me wanting more. Yeah, I agree. She was the one I could read a novel. Yeah. (laughs) And that, can we have that next please? And um, I also thought about Eleanor. I think that she was this very gentle, calm, quiet character, Mm. this real lovely, steady, yeah person and even at the end yes right yeah. at the end, i found where... that i wasn't expecting that no. chapter at all the... were you not once no. the minute i saw it um within about two lines i thought oh, I'm never oh no that just to remind people it was the chapter towards the end when yutta and eleanor and others get raped by some of the mm. soldiers that, that chapter. which has been historically yeah. reported as mm-hmm. being um something that was very common yeah. yeah for me anyway felt a bit sudden and like oh wow it like it left a big impact mm-hmm. yeah and i think it's also really important acknowledgement of the german women mm. who weren't fighting mm. who had a horrendous time mm. and at the end had a really horrendous time mm. and that can be overlooked yeah i thought important. it was really powerful mm. and important that he included that and to go back to your point about Frau Eleanor, yeah, it's because she says, doesn't she, like, I'll go first because mm. then they'll be more gentle with you afterwards, which I thought was like, oh, yeah. horrible. But yeah, horrible. speaks, she still wants to protect them all right till the end, doesn't mm. she? It's He's not really a 
a side character, but obviously he's not in the book as much as we would like because he goes to prison, but we haven't really spoken about her father. I was going to say, the one thing I want to know is what happened because they just didn't find out, did Mm. they? I quite like that he didn't, that he left that ambiguous. Yeah. I know, because you're kind of with them in the not knowing. Yeah, true. You know, that's kind of how it would have been. But um, but yeah, he was a great character as well. I think also his dedication to her as a young girl as a single father as she goes blind as he walks and measures the streets yeah how long must that have taken and then he becomes Mm. a suspect in um for doing that that. bloody claw hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Over the road. Yeah, yeah. the informer. Obviously, radio is at the heart of the story um, and how it brings people together. The lovely side of it being um, Etienne's broadcasts yes. and that gorgeous music, which yes. in the TV show you get to hear, which mm-hmm. is lovely. It kind of makes us think, I suppose, a bit about how we use modern communication today, that being social media and the mm-hmm. internet, um, and how we all go in there and instantly get our news fix Mm. we know exactly what's going on around the world um but how important it was for them to be able to tune in and Mm. hear what was happening there's one quote from the book which says radio it ties a million ears to a single mouth i love that yeah another wonderful example yeah (laughs) just a tiny sentence of about eight words (laughs) how do you think the power of radio worked through the novel it just gives it this sense of connectivity doesn't it i mean the fact that these two strangers from kind of other other sides of history find each other and they have you know that broadcast in common almost like a mutual friend yeah having heard her grandfather on on the radio um all those years ago and it it shows the kind of the common humanity in a way and i think that's really lovely um i mean it's hard to kind of imagine today what that must have been Mm. like to have absolutely no way of knowing where your loved ones were or um or you know actually really what was going on politically at the time you know when all those radios are confiscated and suddenly they're completely cut off yeah so i did love that that bit where he's like uh madame so and so uh wants to, uh wants her husband to know that she's well or yeah. they're reading yeah. out these kind of classifieds yeah yeah um i felt that was really heartwarming if you were listening to that and even mm. if you didn't know any of the people yeah. just knowing what people were doing yeah. yeah what was happening um would be really comforting mm somebody else on the community has said I don't know if anybody else felt like this but the whole book I was just waiting for Verna and Mary Law to meet I kept thinking to myself please tell me they're meant to find each other that was Vanessa on the community um how did you feel when this finally happened and yeah did it meet your expectations 
there is just this kind of constant momentum from the beginning because you do I mean like Vanessa's right you are just expecting it to happen all along and you're um just kind of waiting for it and it feels like that momentum is just kind of building and building throughout um so yeah it's actually really sweet when it does happen I think um I think I'm right in saying that chronologically as we're reading it but not in the chronology of the novel yeah. if that makes sense it he her hears her before they we see them meeting yes yeah um and I think it's really nice that that is kind of on her terms because it's audio and so it's you know she's not kind of she's not missing from that interaction as it were and, yes. um, and there's something really lovely about that and the fact that he's so compelled by her voice and it's actually her just sitting there kind of reading from the the braille and although I think that is actually later on in in, in their time frame um I really like the way that he did that when they actually meet in person we spoke about the moment with the peaches which is just so gorgeous yeah um and actually it's quite fleeting in a way but mm. it's just perfectly done and you kind of almost want more from it but feels more real that way i think so and probably what would have happened yeah. let's say at the time like it wasn't like they were going to be oh let's just stay here for a few days and get to know each other mm. and interact like it really did have to be quick but am i right in thinking that because he saw her didn't he before yeah. they had that interaction in the house he'd seen her sort of walking and he'd sort of put two and two together because it wasn't he about to knock on the door to introduce himself yeah and then she opens the door and just goes off to get the bread yeah. so i thought that was quite nice in a way but then actually quite interesting based on what you were saying because yeah she wasn't aware of that interaction yeah. so actually she wasn't aware of either of those ones yeah but so, yeah you know kind of different it's ways. really interesting yeah, so like um in terms of who's invested more in mm. it's not a relationship but let's call it that mm. clearly him because mm. he's yeah. heard her voice so i think he feels this pull and this connection towards her that well she has no idea who he is so true yeah so it's pretty one-sided yeah you're right actually in a way but as a reader i don't think you feel it's one-sided as a reader you feel that he's almost well he's kind of coming in and saving the day isn't yeah he, as well so suddenly that equalizes it maybe yeah again that's so interesting you say that actually i hadn't really made that connection but actually in that final chapter when she's meeting uh yuta she kind of says like oh, you know, the, the sister of the boy I met very fleetingly back yeah. in 1944. Like, obviously she then goes on to say about how he'd saved her life three times, mm -hmm. but actually she makes it sound as though she's not thinking about him every single day or, you know, mm -hmm. it, obviously he had a big impact on her life and saving her life, but actually, yeah, she wasn't mooning over him or thinking about mm -hmm. him the whole time before. It was just a very short interaction for her. Yeah. Whereas he had life a much longer... Yeah, yeah, had a yeah. much longer interaction with her than she realised. Yeah, interesting. it is interesting. What do you think about the Sea of Flames? Because it's obviously got a lot of power over a lot of characters. And I was just wondering as well, like, it was a bit more of a supernatural element mm. in what was otherwise a sort of historical novel. Well, I think firstly, it was a way to kind of throw those characters into the action mm -hmm. in a way and kind of give them a sense of jeopardy um so i think that was quite clever i also think that there is something quite kind of fairy tale-ish about the novel both you know for this storyline and also that you know we spoke about um him kind of appearing at the end almost as that like knight in shining, shining armor yeah. there is something almost like a like a modern fairy tale in it and so i think it it works in that sense um for me it wasn't the kind of storyline that i connected most mm -hmm from it but I think it was a really useful device and we spoke at the beginning about how this is a book which 
connects with lots of different kinds of readers and I think actually it's quite helpful in that sense as well um because there is something almost fantastical about it um which I think will hook someone who doesn't necessarily usually opt for traditional historical storytelling I think that's a really good point Georgina how did you feel (laughs) not for me that bit I have to be honest I mean this book for me is clearly a 10 out of 10 Mm. but I would would go to a 9.8 on that (laughs) <laughs> because I just don't love anything sci-fi or supernatural. Mm-hmm. I don't love any magical realism. I don't love any of that kind of stuff. I'm just like, oh, for God's sake, it's a stone. Yeah. Like, come on. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like, I did, I do like it as an, as a device. Because yeah. I think it gives, um, it helps with the pace. Yeah. That's yeah. why they're all, you know, putting themselves towards this house, which is the only house still standing, it would seem, for miles around. So yeah. that lends itself into that, which um, is useful. But, oh, God, I'd be with Werner. I'd just chuck it in the sea. Good yeah. riddance. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, clearly, yeah. Um, but, I, but, it, but it's, yeah, maybe it's a bit of fun, a bit of magic. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I could have done without it. Yeah. I, but I don't know how he would have otherwise got the characters to all be in one place. So yeah. it is clever. I still, I think, was like a bit of a respectful distance from the mm. supernatural. So I was still a bit like, oh, it's just what people are thinking and saying. Yeah. I think it's more a sort of metaphor for power at large anyway. Like there had to be something more to it because yeah he probably would have just thrown in the towel wouldn't he like mm-hmm. being like oh well I don't need this you know I you know I'm yeah, I could pass off exactly one exactly no exactly yeah. so there had to be like something else that pulled him in and I think obviously his illness and tumors and everything was as a side note again going back to the mm-hmm. language like I hadn't really thought about it before it was so descriptive but he was kept describing his tumor as being like vines growing inside him and around him and again I just found that so visual Mm. like really as his over the years as he got sort of progressively more ill I found that like an amazing way of describing yeah um how the tumor was spreading and where to but yeah I kind of feel like I guess he had to have an illness and had to have have something yeah I could handle it let's say it didn't spoil it didn't spoil it for me. <laughs> it didn't spoil it for me either. <laughs> the end of the book gives us a look into many of the main characters' futures. Did you like learning more and were you surprised by any of their fates? I did. I actually I don't always like that kind of skip ahead. Sometimes yeah. I, I'm quite a fan of an ambiguous ending and mm-hmm. I quite like sometimes you know, it just ending without without those kind of subsequent endings but I do think it was helpful in this case bringing them together and getting a little bit of a sense of of closure because I think there are those kind of slightly fairy taley elements of the plot and there is a little bit of a kind of suspension of disbelief required um it, it relies quite heavily on on coincidence in a way that I think if you didn't have that you know story tied up and then brought together again I think it would have felt like we were lacking something Mm. um I probably could have lived without although it was nice and it ended it quite sweetly I think I could have lived without the 2014 I agree yeah it was like you say nice like a nice full stop exactly but yeah I don't think it was a hundred percent that one like nice to know they met and realized and everything but yeah, yeah. I don't think it was necessary oh I disagree <laughs> that's good that's what we like yeah, yeah so why did I, you like I it I do not like ambiguous endings <laughs> I like it we parceled up with a big bow on the top um, and that this is one of the reasons I just felt so satisfied mm. and happy when this book yeah. ended because it's so traumatic and so many terrible terrible things happen mm. 
and it is you know pe- person against person mm-hmm. and it's brutal and I just felt that there was um so much kind of closure to mm-hmm. use our modern term and I felt that um after reading what happened to Yuta to know that she had managed to move past that that's and to get married yeah. and to mm-hmm. have a child and to have a kind of quiet normal life that mm-hmm. she was content to have mm-hmm. I also felt really touched by the amount of volunteer organizations there must be what is returned to her is a canvas bag mm. a wooden box and and a piece of an envelope yeah it's not a lot no. but someone has spent mm. 20 years trying to get those yeah. things yeah. to the right person and I just found that really moving yeah so I liked that and then with the 2014 bit Oh, I don't know. I just thought it was really cute. <laughs> it was just cute. It was cute. just sweet, you know? I agree, you didn't need it. But I also did, um, I liked hearing about how, what she had done in her career. I, she got say, I did like that. Yeah. I also quite liked that she was like, oh, we had a child, but we didn't want to live together. You know, I like, she still got that fierce independence. Yes. Yeah. And her daughter has as well, by the sound of things in the book. But then she's still like, but we all go for lunch every Friday. So I was yeah. like, French and civilised. <laughs> Completely. And yet she still was counting the uh, drain covers yeah. on the way back to mm. her apartment, the apartment yeah. she had grown up in. Yeah. And, and I thought that was kind of mm. sweet too. Interesting. I'm trying to think... I liked the Volkheim a bit because yeah. I did, like I said earlier, I did warm to him as a character, even mm. though he did very horrible things. He was, again, only 17, 18, mm. 19 when he was doing them. I'm not forgiving him at all. But, you know, I do think we have to remember that mm. they were kids and they were forced to do things. But um, I like that he had a bit of a redemption arc, but it felt realistic. Like yeah. he's mm. very much a loner, still working in sort of, aerials and that yeah. sort of thing which he probably would be doing it's the thing he knows how to do yeah but he was still sort of respectful of Werner's memory I suppose yeah yeah like I did like that bit mm. yeah what the ending does do whilst it is sweet and cute and lovely it also is really powerful because yeah. it's like the damage is going on for generations yeah. for generations and for generations and it's still being yeah. felt by people but um, there's still hope as in they still still like people can still have a vaguely happy ending Mm -hmm. despite living through all that yeah it's contextualizing it for today as well isn't it because it's showing how the reverberations are still being felt and Mm. how it's how that story of just two ordinary people is still relevant yeah and i suppose the fear is of forgetting Mm. as these generations you know she's in her 90s yeah and this generation as they as they die then who is going to remember yeah. hmm. um so to, you know telling their grandchildren passing it all on it's really important mm. finally on this section mm-hmm. what did you think of the tv adaptation did you watch it and if so what did you think be honest is what i'm going to say because i have been we always do well it's just really different i think it's always really interesting to see how different people interpret these stories and it's you know, obviously the chronology of it is different. The way mm. they've chosen to, um, to to kind of portray the timeline mm-hmm. is completely different and immediately. So I think it did some of it successfully, um, but it's not the same story. No, and it's always really. I think anything that gets people talking about books and interesting in books is a good thing. Yeah, I mean when that um, 
when the TV series first aired, sales of All the Light We Cannot See the book um, went up by 85% instantly. Wow. And then they kind of carried on with that uplift, like, um, you know, in the coming weeks, obviously December as well, but still that kind of uplift and increased interest in it continues. I mean, we're sitting here talking about yeah. it this year yeah. as opposed to, you know, um, several years ago. And so I think that's a great thing. And anyone who picks up this book as a result of the TV programme yeah. being aired is going to discover something brilliant and then maybe they'll love it and they'll think oh what can I move on to next and they'll read more as a result this year than they would have done I didn't love the show (laughs) um but I do think that it did it justice in some ways and I'm thrilled that we're talking about it now that's true I think that's a good point I know I so I only watched the first two episodes because I was just like oh no 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 it's not doing it for me I think it's just it was the messing with the chronology and also not just that but well a like it felt like yeah Verna and Mary Law met really early on which Mm. was like well you're then the whole like will they won't they obviously they will but the whole like waiting for that to happen that bit you're sort of almost robbed of that a little bit mm. i think it's mainly the von rumpel things like mm. he really we were saying he's almost like a sort of pantomime villain a bit yeah, more. Yeah. like what was he doing sort of wrestling her down in that um mm. you know yes, that that watery waterway. cove bit like that was just like really completely different he's not like this haunting presence who she can hear and she's like oh where's the guy who sort of dragging his leg and stalking me there was none of that tension it was just like immediately like right a fight and Mm. also I just found it a bit unbelievable as well the way he was going around to everyone in the town being like there's a blind girl where does she live and they were all refusing to tell him but then she was walking around the town all the time with her cane like surely (laughs) yeah he was also walking around all the time as well so like surely he could have just been like aha there she is like (laughs) yeah I don't know I just found that like super unbelievable but you know it's harder to achieve that kind of tension visually though isn't it I mean I think it's a lot more on the nose but that's because you know you we're not dealing with a really brilliant author's very subtle way of writing and you know in the same way that part of the reason I think that the adaptation is missing some of the kind of heart of the book is because we don't get that language that we've been talking about Mm. which is so central to why it's unique and why it's great um and you're missing that kind of sensory input instead you when you know it's kind of it's showing not telling and so it's much harder to be subtle for me the problem is the casting yeah you know Mm. you've got She's the actress is thirty. He's twenty six. They're mm. both meant to be playing kids, fifteen yeah. year olds. Mm. True, and they didn't. It just didn't pass for me. And there's one point quite early on where he's in the orphanage, cast <laughs> as the person he is, yeah, as an adult. That actor is now him, and he just looks completely ridiculous. Well, he's, he's in shorts. shorts, and they put him on this little stu- chair, like yeah, chair yeah. He's got slightly longer hair. But they're five hair. years old, you know, and it's sort of odd it's mm. really odd mm. and Mark Ruffalo's accent was I don't even know what it was meant to be it was it's a bit like Dick Van Dyke <laughs> doing the Cockney accent in Mary Poppins and it was all over the place but my favourite person actually was Hugh Laurie as mm, Etienne yeah, I yeah. found that and Madame Manek I yes. think they were both yeah. really convincing yeah and the other thing I would say is that um, both of the actresses who played Mary Law were blind yeah. as well and I think that's amazing to like do that properly yeah and not it's just a good cast somebody else you know mm. yeah so i thought that was successful 
Anyway, I will watch the other two episodes Do just it. to tie a bow on it, as you say, Georgina. But yeah, so far, not convinced. It's beautifully but, you know. shot. Oh, think, and you know. the soundtrack's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah it's... And when you see those big bombers yeah. coming in mm. and the leaflets yeah. falling from the sky yeah. and things, I mean, it is amazing. Yeah, it's a team behind like Peaky Blinders and other like shows mm. like that, so they know what they're doing. But yeah, yeah just kind of. It's it's hard to it's add an ambitious up any to take like on. That, yeah, for, for sure. sure. Isn't yeah. it? Well, thank you very much. That was a fascinating chat. And then B, we're just going to talk a little bit about you, if that's okay. (laughs) So, yeah, obviously, head of books at Waterstone sounds like a lot of people's dream job. (laughs) Um, What does your sort of day-to-day look like? Or what what does a head of books do? So it's quite different, really, um, depending on time of year in terms of what the typical day is. Um, We've just kind of come through our big Christmas rush, which is obviously our busiest time of year. So... Um, for the, you know, for those months, it's very much all about making sure that um, the books are in the bookshops, the booksellers have everything they need to um, to talk about them and to to recommend to customers, and the bookshops are all as as welcoming places as they possibly could be. As we kind of look ahead to the new year, um, our team, so we kind of work with publishers on their forthcoming publications, and in kind of launching our favourite books with as much impact and fun as possible to get them to as wide a readerships as we can. So we are currently starting to work with publishers on their autumn list for this year. Wow, yeah, no, it's um, like anything <laughs> like this, isn't it? Everything's so much further in advance than you think. Yeah, <laughs> so that's really fun. So my team is, you know, we kind of look after the buying as well as things like events and um, kind of online strategy yeah. and things like that. So, um, yeah, we're just making plans really for the year ahead. How many books do you think you have to get through, you know, on average in a month, say, you must, or maybe it goes in cycles, but it feels like you must have to read quite a lot to kind of pick which those books are. Yeah, lots. Um, so <laughs> la- last year for the for this kind of stage, we saw about 5,000 books for the, the next six months. And that's and not everything, but it's the, you know, the, the books that we kind of would want to be doing something, um, oh, wow. you know, putting a bit of effort behind. But we've got an amazing team and we've got the benefit of, you know, um, booksellers all over the country who are very engaged and who are brilliant readers. So we get an awful lot of feedback oh, from great. all of them. Um, and so it means that, you know, we've got a great kind of network of people who read with really, really widely. Um, so it's not just, you know, a couple of people sitting in an office thinking <laughs> I look like the look of that. <laughs> like um, it's like it's trying nice. to get yeah. through. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, we, we read a lot. You know, we kind of also have really trusted relationships with, with publishers and everything. So we, you know, we have a good head start in terms of how to make that initial kind of whittling yeah. down what to read first, what you absolutely have to go to right away. Um, but yeah, that's a fun part of the job, really. Fascinated. Top three okay. I've read in the last few months. That are out already? Or yeah, well, I, I think out already. Okay. Yeah. So we launched a prize last year. So it's kind of going into our third year for debut fiction. We'll say it's debut fiction prize. Um, and our winner, uh, which was announced in August, was um, Alice Wynn for In Memoriam. Oh, so um, did you like yeah, it? Okay, yeah, great. Um, <laughs> it's just a glorious piece of historical fiction which I think fans of all the like I was just really love. when you said that actually oh, it's a good companion it. piece you must it's um it's set in the first world war it's about these two boys basically who meet at at a school they have a very kind of privileged upbringing and then they both find themselves kind of going off to the trenches and it's a very kind of brutal depiction of that but underpinned by a really gorgeous tender love story mm. between them and it, they both kind of go off to war kind of secretly loving each other 
and then you know as the events unfold they are kind of brought together and it's kind of the lights we found in dark places and all of yeah. that but it's structured interestingly as well um in the same way that all you all the light is um it's more chronological but the chapters are kind of split up by these in memoriam sections of their school newspaper um and so you, you kind of learn of characters who are kind of missing or dying just as you would have done at the time through these um, kind of in memoriam pieces. And that's what inspired Alice to write the book because she found those articles from her own school archives and she was just completely fascinated. And so this novel kind of came about as a result of that. And it's really, really gorgeous. It's um, her first novel, but it's just so assured. Yeah. Um, Yeah, did you like it? I did, yeah, I did. I thought it was amazing. So that was one of the absolute highlights of the last year. Um, we had another book on our shortlist um, called Kala by Colin Walsh, which oh, yeah. was um, personally one of my absolute favourites. I've not read that year. yet, but I remember reading about it and writing something up on it for SL Man because it sounded amazing, the plot. It's brilliant. It's kind of partly this coming-of-age story of six friends in kind of seaside island um, and the dynamics of this kind of this group of friends and how, you know awful you can be to each other when you're a teenager um but also how kind of formative those relationships are um and then it's partly this kind of missing girl thriller set when three of those friends in their kind of late 20s come back to the town to kind of try and uncover what happened to one of the others um and he manages to kind of pull both of those threads together really really well so it's very satisfying both for readers of kind of like character focused fiction but also a bit more kind of crimey taste as oh, well it so it's very good. very clever well, if it's satisfying at the end yeah <laughs> you'll be satisfied <laughs> if we can look ahead for yeah. you know yes. the next few months yes 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 i'd um, love to know your yeah 2024 highlights highlights yeah yes. so excited about there is so much it's an incredibly strong year for fiction um lots and lots of amazing um, kind of beloved authors coming back with new books um, so lots for readers of every taste if I concentrate on three yeah go for it yeah 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 um, so in a couple of weeks time the first kind of massive big moment is The Fury by Alex Michaelides yes the author of The Silent Patient so it's a kind of locked room thriller set on a Greek island lots of intrigue very glamorous cast of characters and the most deliciously unreliable narrator <laughs> just oh, love absolutely <laughs> despicable um, and it's just so much fun, but also incredibly clever. It's full of kind of Shakespearean drama and kind of Agatha Christie-esque um, kind of details. Um, so that's a really, really fun one. Oh, that sounds like I know. a possible <laughs> for a podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah, or it sounds like I want to go to Greece and read on a beach. Yeah. You should do both. Just honestly. like a bat one. Yeah, <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, and yeah, it will be a really great one for like summer reading as yeah. well, um, looking ahead. But that's coming out on the 1st of February. David Nichols, author yes. of One Day. I'm so excited about this. Um, his new one is called You Are Here, and that's out um, in a few months' time. And it's this really gorgeous kind of will-they-won't-they they love story um, set over 10 days of um, the coast-to-coast walk. His novels are always so kind of full of heart and so wise, but this one, I think, if I'm allowed to say, it's even better than One Day. It's just so, so satisfying, mm-hmm. so well done. And he writes really well on um, kind of, you know, budding romance, but also on loneliness and not just its kind of negative side. And I think that's really rare to see Mm. in fiction. Um, So I really loved that. And I think it's going to be huge. So that's probably the biggest book of the year. There's also some really incredible debut fiction coming out 
and um, we're kind of racing through all of that at the moment judging for this year's prize yeah, of course. one which i'm really excited about is called Marta, um and it's by an author called cafe akbar about an iranian american boy who's kind of coming of age in the states and trying to kind of reconcile the loss of his parents and struggling with addiction and with um you know kind of trying to make his way as an artist i read an awful lot as discussed but <laughs> i was blown away by it oh, wow. um i read it on christmas day and all of my photos from christmas day are of paragraphs oh, of wow. you know because his, his writing is just that strong you just kind of want to remember snippets of it um, so that's really exciting. Finally, just because I'm sure everyone always mm. says like, oh, I might write a novel or everyone, you know, I've got one novel in me. Mm. Have you got any tips for people who, you know, might be budding authors? Um, I would say read a lot and read widely. Um, and don't be kind of tempted to kind of try to stick to trends because trends come and go quite quickly and can be quite fickle. And actually, if you write what you know and what you're good at, that's always going to kind of stand up above any kind of any trends that are going on at the, at the given moment. Also, I think just do it for the love of it because it's really competitive mm. and it's hard. And um, that always shines through. You can always really tell when someone has written a book with, with love and with care. So persevere, but enjoy the process and that will always kind of work in the end. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, B, for coming on. That's all been brilliant. Loved all your insights on the book. And yeah, can't wait to read some of those books you just recommended. So just before we go, we've got one announcement, which is that the next uh, Sherlock's book club read will be Tom Lake by Anne Patchett. Have you read that? I love Tom Lake. I yeah. Love <laughs> okay, all three of us have read it and love, <laughs> love it. it. So yeah, and we're being joined by journalist, author and broadcaster Bryony Gordon on the next podcast, which is really exciting as well. So yeah, make sure you join in the discussions on the Sherlock's community and ask any questions you've got for Bryony and Georgina and I on the book. Thank you so much for watching and listening. If you've got any questions, please do email us at podcast at Sherlock's. We love hearing from you and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.